the energy. The guy told me I was no spring chicken anymore, and that's why my ankle was still hurting. I'm 33, not 133. The passion. The Red Sox handling of Xander Bogarts is a complete organizational failure. The opinions on all your favorite teams. No, not this year, but it's next year where Bill Belichick ends up on the hot seat. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it here on a Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. We're up until 640, 645-ish, and then it's high school basketball on the boys' side tonight. Harwood is traveling to Montpelier, and Brent Curtis is already courtside waiting for that coverage to begin. We got a lot to get to. Until then, though, Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson, will be with us in about 15 minutes. Talk about the Trevor Story stuff. We'll start off here momentarily with the Red Sox introducing or reintroducing Rafael Devers to the media and the fan base after signing that 10-year extension. We'll tell you what they said at that extension press conference. UVM is taking on UMass Lola tonight in a game starting at 6. So we'll watch it as we talk, and we'll have some first-half takeaways for you before we get out of here. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. You are locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and in Morrisville. You can also get in on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and watch it. Always on my Twitter account, which is at WDEV Radio Brady. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at Sticks and Stuff. So, yes, the Red Sox got awful news yesterday regarding Trevor's story. Today, there was better news for the fan base. There was a press conference that, well, re-announced Rafael Devers to the fan base after signing that mega extension. We did get some clarity, by the way, officially. It is a 10-year contract extension worth about $314 million. So, Devers will play this season at the previously agreed upon one year for 17. So the total value of the contract is 11 years for about 331, but the new money is 10 for about 314. So we did get some clarification on that. So we had been wondering, okay, is does the 11 years get added on top of, you know, on top of what he's got this year, does 11 years count as part of that? It counts as part of that. It's this year he already had plus 10 more. So nonetheless, Rafael Devers will be here for the next 11 seasons, beginning with this one. A bunch of audio came out of that press conference. Let's just rip through some of it. This one comes from Chief Baseball Officer Ian Bloom. Um, every organization dreams of developing star players. Rafael Devers is a star. He's one of the most feared hitters in the game. He is. He has been. The guy that we want up in the biggest situations. The guy that when you play us, you circle and you always know when his spot is coming up. He's not just a star, he's our star. It's a wonderful thing to retain a homegrown player who loves Boston and who Boston and Red Sox Nation loves back. Look, you know how I feel. 
I generally like Chaim Bloom as a person. I generally think he's very, very smart. And I feel for him for having to take the arrows on a lot of this stuff that isn't all his fault. And I don't know exactly what he's supposed to what he's supposed to say at this press conference, but what you just heard there, that makes me cringe as a fan. Like, yes, it's the right thing. I get it. It's great to have homegrown players. We all want that. We shower love on guys who are homegrown players. It's great when they love you right back. That's all true. I don't know what I want High and Bloom to say instead, but you can't say that with a straight face on the heels of what's happened with Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. That is a cringeworthy statement for me to hear. Is it not for you? It's so awesome to have Chaim Bloom says it's so great to have homegrown players and it's so gro- so great to show them love when they show you love back. And here you are. You've had two other chances in the last three years to do that and you failed. And you didn't try to do that. You tell me how great it is to have homegrown stars and how great it is to take care of them and love them and pray and shower them. But yet you didn't do it with Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. I don't know what I want Hyam Bloom to say there, but that I, I roll my eyes when I hear that. Don't you? Don't you? That's like, you know, let's just say this. Let's just you have an ex who you're a you're a woman, you have an ex who you really wanted to propose to you. Okay? And the guy had an ex who he dated for eight years and wouldn't propose. And then he had another ex who he dated for five years and wouldn't propose. And then you, then the guy dates another woman and he finally proposes. And he's like, oh man, when you got a great one, you got to lock them up. And the other two, what are they saying? They're saying, well, you had two other chances to marry us. You dated me for eight years. You didn't do it. You dated me for five years. You didn't do it. We were together forever. And now you're going to say, oh, when you got a great one, you got to put a ring on it. Come on, buddy. You had two other chances to do that. That's exactly how I hear that statement. Like that is an empty comment to me. Yes, it's great to, to hit your wagon to Rafael Devers. It's great to have homegrown players that you believe in. You know what would have been great? Showing Mookie Betts the same love. Showing Xander Bogarts the same love. Don't tell me how great it is to have homegrown stars with the two previous times you've had chances to do that. You didn't. I mean, that's a, that. Again, I don't know what the right answer is for High and Bloom at the press conference, but that to me, that ain't it. This was another one that I rolled my eyes at, to be honest with you. Again, I generally like Bloom. This is not all his fault, but this comment also had me rolling my eyes. And I know y'all are smart and you knew there would be ups and downs uh, with where we stood and some of the things that we were going to have to go through. And you've been with us the whole way. When we've celebrated, you've celebrated with us. Um, when we've hurt, you've hurt. And we know that. And, and we feel it. So I'm hoping today, uh, when you think about what we always talk about and where we're going, and this vision of a, of a Red Sox organization that every year is consistently contending for championships. I'm hoping that vision's a little clearer for you today, knowing that this guy's going to be right at the middle of it, you know, what we're, what we're going to do around him. Hopefully the vision became clear today. I got news for you, High and Bloom. For the average fan, 
the Red Sox vision is not clear. Just signing Rafael Devers long term does not make the vision clear because you can let me know 802-585-3026. I don't think the average fan gets what's going on here. Right? You all are the average fan out there. So you let me know if you get what the Red Sox plan is because I see the average Joe, the average Jill out there. Okay, they're they're married, they got two kids, they got a full-time job. They don't have all day to study this stuff. And I don't think that those people with other things going on in their lives, I don't think they get the plan. I believe I've got the plan, but I study this all day, every day for a living. I don't think it's clear to the average fan what's happening here. You say, oh, I hope it got made clearer today. It didn't. The average fan, you know what the average fan sees? They see that two of the best players on the team have gone in the last three years, Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. They see that J.D. Martinez is now gone. They see the overall offense is worse. The average fan hears about a commitment to youth in the minor leagues and then sees you going out and signing 100-year-old Kenley Jansen and Justin Turner and furrows their brow. I think the average fan is generally confused by what's happening with the Red Sox. I don't think the average fan thinks anything is more clear today. The average fan, I think, needs me to come in and be an intermediary and tell you what's going on. Steve says, I rolled my eyes as well at those high and bloom comments. So well, there you go. There's one, at least on my side. Like, And I don't believe that the average fan has a clear idea what's going on. Again, I'm studying this every single day. And when I'm not doing the news, I'm reading up on all of this. I think I've got it, but it takes me that level of commitment and that level of time spent to come up with what I think the Red Sox plan is. I believe the Red Sox plan is to provide themselves short-term flexibility while working towards long-term sustainability. That's what I think the plan is, but I don't think the average fan sees that. The Red Sox want to be good in the long term. That's why they have Rafael Devers. That's why they invest in Yoshida for five years. That's why they have a commitment to prospect development and a commitment to the draft and a commitment to so far not trading their prospects. They want to be good in the long term for a long time. They also think they want to be good in the short term, but they want to have flexibility in that. They don't want short-term money to impact long-term money. That's why you have so many short-term deals on this team. They want to be good, but if they're not good, they want easily tradable contracts or easy contracts to get out of. Jansen's a two-year deal, and Martin's a two-year deal, and Turner's a one-year deal with an option. They want contracts that are easy to trade. So I think that I get the plan. I think that I see the plan. I think that I understand it. But I am Bloom says, I hope the vision became clear for you today. I don't think the vision is clear to the Red Sox. I think, or to Red Sox average fans. I think the average fan sees a collection of moves and they're not quite sure what they all mean. That's what they mean. I'm telling you. The Red Sox moves are, we want to do everything we can to be good in the long term. Well, we'd like to be good in the short term. And if we're not, then we have flexibility to then be good in the long term still. I think that's exactly what the Red Sox are. If the Red Sox are bad at the end of June, Kenley Jansen, Justin Turner, those are easily tradable deals. Chris Martin's an easily tradable deal. 
I think that's what the Red Sox are going for right now. We want to be good long-term. Everything we do will not impact that. We'd also like to be good short-term, but if we're not, we'll start flipping things so that we're good long-term again, so that we can add to the long-term goal. That's the plan. I don't think it became more clear just because you signed an extended Rafael Devers. It's nice that you did it. You needed to do it. But I don't think it just all of a sudden made things very, very clear. This is one thing I will also wonder. Before we get to TC, I got to say this. If you could have a mulligan, I wonder what the Red Sox could would pick. If I told you you can only end up with one of the big three, that's Bogarts and Devers. Is Devers the one that you would want? That's what I wonder. Is If you could only get one of the big three, is Devers the one that you want, or is Devers just the last man who was standing? We're never going to know. It's the thing that I'll always wonder. Right? First time, First job that I ever had. You know this. I was in Albany. There were three part-timers, all of us, three part-timers. And we were all the same age, and we were all relatively the same skill level. One guy was better behind the scenes. I was better on air. Another guy was good at this. So we all kind of had our niche. But we were three guys, all the same. All of us wanted to be full-time. None of us were made full-time. First guy said, I can't take it anymore. He left. Now there were two left. I went and said to them, I want to be full-time. They wouldn't make me, so I left. What happened the minute that I left, the last guy remaining got made full-time. Now, is that because he was the best or because he was the last one standing? I'll never know. And I wonder what happened if that same thing has happened with the Red Sox. Is Devers the guy that they want out of those three, or is he just the last one left? It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I spoke to Tom Karen today earlier, TC, our Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson. He and I spoke before the Devers deal or before the Devers presser, but we spoke a lot about Trevor's story as a result of Devers not having happened yet. So I said, TC, how are you? I'm doing well, Brady. How are you doing? I'm doing better than I was when I spoke to you a week ago, although a little stuffy still at times, but uh, generally good. You know, we're taping this in advance today, in advance of the Rafael Devers uh, extension press conference. So unfortunately, we have to focus mostly on the bad news of yesterday, which was that Trevor Story is going to miss anywhere between half and all of the season, it sounds like. And that sounds like a catastrophic blow for a team that could ill afford one. Yeah, the offseason from hell continues for high and bloom, right? It's, uh, you know, you you were a last place team a year ago with Xander Bogarts and with Trevor Story. And Bogarts is long gone. And Story, it sounds like maybe the all-star break is a best case scenario. But you heard high and bloom on, on Tuesday say, we can't bank on that. So what do they bank on? At this point, the only guy on the roster who's played half a season uh, at shortstop is is Kike Hernandez, and that's the third position they'd like him at. They'd rather have him in center field, and if not center field, second base. Uh, so this is a mess. You know, you've got Christian Arroyo, who has not been able to stay on the field and stay healthy, so he'll be part of the mix, but you're going to need to prop him up. Clearly now, 
with everyone knowing they are desperate, they're going to have to try to go out on the free agent market and in the trade market and do something. And, and you're not going to find Trevor Story, and you're not going to find Xander Bogart, certainly, and you're not going to find Carlos Correa because you're a day late on that. Uh, so it's a mess. It doesn't get much worse than this. Talk to me a little bit about the timing, because that's what's got everybody, I think, bent out of shape here. Like the story elbow issues were known. We knew this. Buster only told us multiple times last offseason that teams were hesitant to sign him, period, because of his elbow. So clearly he's had an elbow issue. He's played an entire season's with an elbow issue. The, the data on his arm strength is very clear that there's a problem there. Why not get something done at the end of last season? But then I see Hyam Bloom says this is a new elbow issue, not the old one. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can't make a guy undergo surgery, all right? I mean, that's right. as simple as that. And I, I've talked to Trevor Story about that, of course, last year, and he was very quick to, to shoot down any talk that there was a problem with his elbow. I've asked him about it, you know, because as you said, the, the, the data shows that the speed and velocity of his throws have, have declined now over the last two seasons. Uh, but Story's a little bit of a weird guy to gauge that way because he, he makes his throws on the run. That's his style. Uh, and, and so quite often it's kind of a, a, an off-speed kind of shovel pass, if you want to call it that, that he's throwing, especially at second base, where at the beginning of last year he was still adjusting to the new position. You'd think it's easier to throw from a shorter different distance, but it's different, whatever it is. Uh, and so, you know, and then there was the Heyman report that he wanted to rest it and avoid surgery. And then TK Hernandez uh, put a yeah. poop emoji uh, on top of that to uh, to show that that, uh, at least in the eyes of the players, was BS. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this was a concern, why you wouldn't do it. it. It feels so much like Chris Sale, doesn't it? Not 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 this last round of Chris Sale issues <laughs> last year, the previous round of Chris Sale issues when, when he didn't undergo the Tommy John surgery. And then in 2020 during the pandemic, uh, after an entire off season had passed, he underwent Tommy John surgery, which effectively pushed him off another season. Had, had Trevor story done this at the end of last year, he'd be getting ready for spring training probably. Uh, and, and so it hurts, but you know, again, the rest, and they'll never say this. They didn't say it yesterday. Maybe we'll learn more today or, or in the coming days that maybe Story starting his throwing program, but going back to shortstop where you have to throw with more strength and you have to throw with more velocity. Maybe that's when he started feeling it and said, oh, boy, I don't know if I can move back to shortstop. We haven't heard that yet, but that would probably be my guess, right, that you think you can get through it. But you go back to shortstop. Listen, this guy had been incredibly durable since com before coming to Boston. Uh, you look over the last five years, he played 87% of his games or more. That includes 59 out of 60 in the uh, COVID year. But, but in the 140s every other year, there was no sign, hint, or indication that this guy was going to have injury troubles. They sign him, he comes to Boston, and, and you can't keep him on the field. So I, you can't blame High and Bloom for an injury, uh, but, but the timing, you're absolutely right. It seems uh, the worst possible case for the Sox. As far as I'm concerned, there's three options for the Red Sox. I'll lay them out for you and see which one you like best. One, which I like better than all of the rest, is trade for Hassan Kim of the Padres and just put him at shortstop. He is disposable now for them. The other one is... Christian Arroyo plays second and you're signing Elvis Andrews or Jose Iglesias off the free agent market and they play short. And the third one, which I hate is 
uh, Kike at short, Arroyo at second, and you're bringing in Jackie Bradley Jr. to patrol center field. That's the way because you're going to need a good center fielder because Yoshida apparently isn't a good left fielder. So you're going to need someone good in center, and JBJ would fit that. But again, that's that's last on my list. Do you like any of yeah. my three, or do you have secret door number four? Well, Hassan Kim is obvious. I'm with you. I think that's a you know he is expendable. So is Trent Grisham, by the way, uh, for the Padres. Yes. So so maybe you make a, a little bit of a bigger deal. For the two of them, uh, could you could you uh, you know Tanner Houck, uh, I would think uh, is, is a guy who, who would get some interest. Not sure Dahlbeck really fits into the Padres plan, but he but he would give them minor league depth, uh, and and then you dig into the minor league. So maybe it's something along those lines. Um, I you know I, none of those are exciting. I on the free agent market, Iglesias would be my choice. Uh, we saw when he came. Uh, here the last time, a couple of years ago, you know, he actually hit uh, better than he has really at, at just about any stage of his career. Uh, and and he, he knows Boston. He can use the wall. He's got a good relationship with Alex Cora uh, and is, uh, even at this age, is still a, a good defender. Uh, you don't know what you'd get out of his bat, but you, he, he can play the field uh, and is a fit in Boston, I think. Um, so I, you know, I think that's, a, you know, frankly, those to me, you make those two moves. Okay. You sign Iglesias, uh, and then you, you trade for Kim, uh, and then you've got now a little bit of depth and you sprinkle Arroyo in around that. You keep KK, KK out in center field. You don't sign Jackie Bradley Jr. Maybe, you, you know, you, you continue to cross your fingers and, and pray that Jaron Duran can become something. And Rob Ref Snyder can play a little bit of center field as a, as a depth guy. So you know, that way, if, if, I, if I'm right now looking at what I think is available and who knows what really is, I figure out a way to trade for Kim, trying to use Hauk as the centerpiece of that. I sign Iglesias, which now gives me a couple of pieces of depth. I'm using Arroyo at second base and shortstop when I need to. Kike can cover second base when you need to. Ref Snyder can cover center field, and you continue to develop the run. To me, that is probably the easiest and safest avenue to get out of this. Tom Karen, Red Sox Bruins insider over at Nesson. Uh, the steamer projections were out today for uh, Masataka Yoshida. Pretty good projections for him. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but 19, 19 home runs, 298 average, 388 on base, 479 slugging. 140 WRC plus, which makes him, you know, significantly better than an average major league player. That that sounds pretty good. I would take that. No, absolutely. And that, that is, you know, the, the upside of the signing of Yoshida is the bat to ball skills that he can hit. And, and with a restricted shift this year, and there should be a little bit of predictability for a guy like that to be able to, to get base hits in, in shallow, uh, in the shallow outfield through the holes. Uh, although it's funny, you talk to the Red Sox people about that, and they actually think that he might have been better served by the shift because he's a guy who can beat the shift. Right? <clears throat> he's a guy who's yeah. going to pull the shift. He can slap it the other way. <clears throat> so either way, I, I think this is a guy who's going to get hits. The 19 home runs, uh, that's great for, for not a big guy who, who did show power in Japan. But against Major League Pitching, I would not have expected that kind of power from him. But if you're going to get an 800-plus OPS out of him, uh, the WRC plus that you talked about. I mean, that, that would be a great addition to this team and, and, and would really make up for some of the lost, uh, uh, the, the lost offense here with, with Bogarts and, 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 and story. I, I do think that this team is starting to shift into a very different team than we've seen the last few years and that they actually are going to try to pitch and play defense uh, as opposed to hit, right? They hit the ball last year. 
They couldn't pitch, and the defense was suspect uh, in in a lot of areas. So I, you know, and and when you go back to pitching, I do like the bullpen. I think if Story and and, and Bogarts were healthy and up the middle on this team, you'd be really happy with what they've done in this offseason because I think the bullpen has been completely renovated. Uh, the pitching on the starting side—that's the question. Uh, there's a lot of ifs there. If Sale is healthy, if Paxton can come back, if Kluber can stay healthy for another year, if Bayo continues to develop, if Whitlock shows he's a starter and not a reliever, you've got a rotation. If they don't, you're in big trouble. Uh, but if they do, this team could pitch and play some defense and maybe win a few low-scoring games. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk last week about the Devers deal because it broke, you know, pretty much right after we spoke. So yeah. I got to say it, it's effectively a 10 year extension um, for Devers. I, I know Hyam Bloom and John Henry get a lot of criticism. I think this one is a total home run. Not only did you lock up Devers, you locked him up at a price point that I thought was way less than I thought it was going to take to get him. I thought it was going to be in the 15-year and $400 million range to be able to buy him out of looking at the other teams next offseason. I think this has a chance to be the best of any decade-long contract ever signed by a guy on his second contract, you know, not a Julio Rodriguez, Wander Franco early extension. I think this has a chance to be the best decade-plus contract in Major League history, TC. Yeah, because you're getting a guy who, <clears throat> who, who theoretically should just be entering his prime baseball years, and that's what's unusual about Devers. You know, he made his Major League debut before he could legally buy a drink, and that means he hits free agency – Far younger than most guys. This isn't a 30-year-old guy that you're signing into his 40s. This is a guy in his mid, not even late 20s, where, where you're going to have money control until, I guess, it's 37, technically, at, you know, when he goes into that first-year free agency. Uh, but that, you know, that's, that's, that's your prime baseball. Uh, maybe, you know, again, 35, 36, 37, who knows? But it's not 41, 42, 43. That's a big difference to me. I think it's a big difference to High and Bloom. I, I do think, and, and this should have been the victory lap week for the Red Sox before the story news. That's, yeah. that's what's tough about all this. But I, I do think you start to see now, but you hope anyway, that the Red Sox have turned the corner. Okay, they, you know, at the end of the day, they can say priority A and they can say everything they want about Bogarts, but they clearly did not want to sign him into his 40s. Okay, and I understand that. Take away the emotion. I understand a baseball team not wanting to do that. Okay, uh, Betts is a different story. They they messed that one up totally. But but that was messed up before Bloom got here. He just had to be the guy to pull the trigger and rip the bandaid off and move on. Okay, so Betts and Bogarts are gone. Now you see the long term deal for Devers at a young age. Whitlock gets dealt uh, get gets locked up quickly, right? The Yoshida deal, while it's a fair amount of money, is again a guy who is going to be. Uh, in his early 30s. You know, all of these deals, Trevor Story under contract to his early 30s. I'm 33, 34 years old. Uh, I would expect now you start to see in the next year or two, Trevor Ca uh, uh, Tristan Casas getting yep. locked up if he is anything close to what you expect him to be. Brian Bayo any good? You lock him up, okay? Then Marcelo Meyer gets up here in a couple of years. Mayer gets locked up. You know, th th this is now the high and bloom team. Uh, you're still getting through the ugliness of the transition of it, but this is what he said he would do when he got here. Build a sustainable winner. You've done that with young players, not just young prospects, but young enough players to be here in their prime. Trevor Story was a free agent signing, but signed to a, to a term that kept him here for his prime baseball years. That's what I think we're starting to see now. And the Devers, yeah, that deal was the fork in the road. If you lose Devers or if we spend all of next year talking about is Devers staying or going, 
that's the young guy in his prime that you let get away. And now that makes me question everything. Locking him up, to me, further defines what Bloom and the Red Sox are trying to do. TC, much appreciate your time. As always, we'll catch up again next week. Hopefully less bad Red Sox news, which means conversation about good Bruins news, where they're still the best team in the NHL going away right now. And uh, with the Patriots done, we're going to be transitioning into a hockey and hoops mode here shortly. All right, we'll tease it for next week. But, uh, yeah, next week we we talk about the Bruins, and and we're going to have to have the conversation about not just the best team in the NHL, best team in NHL history. I mean, they are on track to get in that conversation. And it's just they just keep doing it. Uh, The West Coast trip had all the trappings of a letdown run after the Winter Classic and back-to-back games in 22 hours. They just keep getting it done uh, for losses, for regulation losses. It's just crazy. Unbelievable. So, TC, we'll uh, we'll talk next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That was my talk earlier today with Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson TC with us every single Wednesday. I also spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio earlier today. We're going to use some of that audio tomorrow, but both of those interviews are already up on our podcast channels at uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. A lot of good stuff from TC, as always. I want to come and put a final bow on some of our conversation and give you a couple of other little Red Sox nuggets that came out today, including something very interesting that Alex Cora had to say about how the team might handle shortstop. I'll tell you what that is after the CBS News update. That's next here on the Brady Farkas Show at WDEV AM and FM. This is W. Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. UVM men's basketball has just tipped off with UMass Lowell. We will get out of here likely a little after halftime, so we'll probably have some first-half takeaways for you. We'll keep you posted. UVM is out to a 2 nothing start. But both of these teams are 2-1 and one inside America East place. So this is a big matchup, and UVM comes into it shorthanded, and UVM can really ill afford to be shorthanded. Finn Sullivan not going to play today with illness, and TJ Hurley, the freshman who was a two-time back-to-back freshman rookie of the week, he's out right now with a leg injury. He did not play last week either, or on Sunday either, I should say, against UNH. UVM is up early 5-3 in this one. But again, uh, I've got it on here. I'll monitor it. We'll have some takeaways for you as we get down towards halftime before we get out of here at about 6.40. We have high school basketball tonight on the boys' side, Harwood and Montpelier. Brent Curtis on the call. All right, I want to put some finishing touches on Tom Karen's conversation and on the Red Sox. Number one, I am with TC. As I told you yesterday, I would absolutely call the San Diego Padres. I would call them about Hassan Kim to play shortstop. But I'm with TC that I would also inquire about outfielder Trent Grisham. So I mentioned Kim yesterday. I mentioned Grisham a few weeks ago on social media, but I didn't mention him on the show. I'd absolutely call on him also. I think he's 26 years old. He's young. He's athletic. He hits for power. He had a terrible offensive season last year, but he's a gold glove defender out there in the outfield. He, too, is disposable for those loaded Padres. He would open up more flexibility to you defensively also. So 
I'd call the the Padres. You need to get Hassan Kim. If you want to compete in 2023, Hassan Kim is the guy that you need. He is the must-have. He needs to be this team's shortstop if they seek to compete. But if you get Grisham, then you have even more flexibility, right? Kim can play short. Grisham can play center. Kike can play second. That would be an option that I could live with. You need a really good center fielder on this roster because Masataka Yoshida, who is supposed to be an excellent offensive player, is not a very good defensive player. So Verdugo's kind of, he's above average in right. Yoshida's going to be below average in left. You're going to need a center fielder that can cover some ground and can make some plays. And I either want Kike to be there or I want Grisham to be there, and then Kike can come into second. But if you're looking for this team to be the best version of itself in 2023, those are calls I would make. Hassan Kim, to me, is a must. He needs to be at shortstop. Okay, In my world, he's at short. Christian Arroyo's at second. Kike's in center. TC adds in Grisham, which then allows you the flexibility to put Kike at second. I'm okay with that, too. Kim is the must. He has to happen. He must happen for this team as far as I'm concerned. Grisham would be a nice bonus, but Kim is the guy who you've got to go out and get. You've got to go out and get him as far as I'm concerned. Continuing with the shortstop conversation, though, one thing that kind of throws a wrench in all of that is that Alex Cora said today they are considering Kike Hernandez at shortstop. Yeah, I hope that's just a consideration until you call Hassan Kim or until you call the Padres about Hassan Kim. I do not want to see Kike Hernandez at shortstop. I don't. He's got 100 games at shortstop in his career, but he is a very good center fielder. He's also a very good second baseman. I do not want my guys playing their third of three positions. I'm kind of closed off to the idea of anybody but Kim playing. I can open my eyes to to Jose Iglesias or to Elvis Andrews. I do not want to put Kike Hernandez there. I want him playing somewhere where he is really good and he's a known commodity. He's a known commodity at, at second base. He's a known commodity in center field. He's got a far smaller sample size at shortstop from a couple of years back in his career. That's not something that I want to do. Not something that I want to do. Cora also mentioned the idea of Jaron Duran still being a factor. Duran can be a factor as a fourth outfielder, as a pinch runner, as a guy to come off the bench and take a swing against righties. I'm all for that. You don't need to jettison the kid forever. There's still some talent in there to work with, but he's not starting for me. If this team goes into goes into the season with Jaron Duran in center, Kike Hernandez at short, and Kristen Arroyo at second, you are absolutely asking for disaster. That would be absolute disaster zone as far as I'm concerned. Kike needs to be in center or at second. Arroyo can be needs to, either needs to be at second or needs to be my utility guy. Kim needs to be at short. That's it. Those are the answers. Kike, I don't want it short. I don't want him there. Second or center, one of his two best positions, please, not his third best position, and I don't want Duran starting. 
That that absolutely cannot happen. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open. Again, at that number, 802-585-3026. Elsewhere on the Red Sox, as I talked about with TC, the projections on Masataka Yoshida, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Remember, this is the Japanese import who's 29 years old. Red Sox signed him to a five-year, $90 million deal. The projections on him are out. 19 home runs, a 298 average, a 388 on base percentage, and a 479 slugging percentage. I saw other projections that kind of think if he hits just kind of the midpoint of his potential, That'd be 20 home runs and a 305 average. Either one of those would be extremely good. If he hits either of those numbers, I would give High and Bloom in the front office an absolute A for landing Masataka Yoshida. 19, 20 home runs, 295, 305 batting average. That absolutely works for me. If he hits those numbers, you'd have Devers, Yoshida, and, and uh, Justin Turner that would profile as probably above average offensive players with Tristan Casas getting better as the year goes on, I'm sure. Kike could be pretty good. You'd start to build the inner workings of a decent offensive profile if Yoshida can be that guy. And Yoshida is kind of the key to everything, is he not? Look, let's let's call a spade a spade right now. We love what the Red Sox have done with the bullpen. We hate what the Red Sox have done with the starting rotation. The swing move is Yoshida. If Yoshida's really good, then we say, okay, they, they were pretty good on two of the three, you know, two-thirds of their work this offseason. If Yoshida's bad and they're only good on one-third of it, then that's a problem. Yoshida's the swing guy. If he hits these numbers, 19 home runs, doesn't strike out much. This has him with more walks than strikeouts. A near 500 on uh, slugging percentage. This would be absolutely huge. If he hits that, you'd be getting elite offense out of Devers. You'd be getting above average offense out of Turner, above average offense out of Yoshida, a growing presence in Casas. Verdugo, you'd probably be a slightly above average. Kike could be slightly above average. If you if these guys could put it together, there would be something to be excited about. The team doesn't have great depth. The team can't afford more injuries like they got yesterday with Story. But the inner workings of the lineup could be pretty good if Yoshida can hit these numbers. The one thing that I wonder about is now, how does the Trevor Story injury impact Yoshida's spot in the lineup? Yoshida's projected to be a leadoff hitter. That's what he's supposed to be. With Story out in the middle of the order, order presence gone, does Yoshida have to bounce now to the middle of the order? I don't know that answer. And we're going to talk to Buster Olney tomorrow, but when you think about this lineup, I don't know exactly how it profiles now. Without Story in it, I'm not sure. Is it Yoshida in the leadoff spot, Turner hitting second, Devers hitting third, Casas hitting fourth, and then who knows in the five, from five on? I don't know. 
Does Kike lead off and Yoshida hits second, Endeavors is third, and now Turner's fourth, and Casas is fifth, and Verdugo is sixth? Maybe. That could be this that that could be how this is done. I just don't know. When we talk to Buster tomorrow, we'll ask him this question. The Trevor Story injury impacts the lineup massively. If they go get Hassan Kim, I think he could probably hit in the two spot. Yoshida one, Kim two, Devers three, Turner four, Casas five, Verdugo six. And then right now the slop of the lineup seven, eight, nine. You know, or Kike could hit sixth and Verdugo could hit seventh and then, you know, eight, nine. The lineup doesn't have as much depth as it's had in years past. What they do with Yoshida to me will be very, very interesting because he profiles as a good top of the order bat. I, I don't know yet how the story injury impacts everything. A couple of other things. Uh, on the Red Sox here that are smaller. Alex Cora said that Yoshida is going to the World Baseball Classic. So that's that's tough, right? As a Red Sox fan, you want to see him bond with his teammates. You want to see him hit major league pitching. He's going to go to the World Baseball Classic. He's going to play with Team Japan. They profile to go deep into the tournament. So you could be without Yoshida for you know, a three-week period or so, and that would be tough as you're trying to reintegrate him to the team, to his teammates, and to all-American pitching, but or all-Major League Baseball pitching, although he'll undoubtedly see good pitching at the WBC level. So Yoshida's going to be gone. Devers is gone at the World Baseball Classic as well. He's going to play for the Dominican Republic. Verdugo's going to play in the WBC. So is Duran. So is Nick Pavetta. He's going to play for Canada. Kike Hernandez is going to play for Puerto Rico. Ken Lee Jansen's going to be gone for the Netherlands. So you have a, a large contingent of your team there that's going to be gone for a good portion of spring training playing in the World Baseball Classic. I mean, we look at this. Yoshida, Devers, Verdugo, Pavetta, Kike, Jansen, and Duran that's like seven players. And you're also going to be out a couple of coaches at the World Baseball Classic. And Story was set to play in the World Baseball Classic. So this is a an interesting time for the Red Sox as, uh, you know, spring training. They're going to be awfully light. Now it's going to give some opportunities to guys to try to make, you know, to make impressions. And that's great for those players. But for a team cohesion, for integrating new players, that that's going to be tough. Now, for a guy like Kenley Jansen, I think he'll get more out of pitching in the WBC than he will pitching in meaningless spring training games. For Pavetta, I think, you know, it's interesting for a starter. I have to assume he'll start for Team Canada, so he'll still get his work in. But you always worry about injuries when it comes to starting pitchers in these things who are then not under the supervision of their own coaching staff. So, uh, Yoshida is the one that I'm going to miss for sure. Beyond that, I'm kind of okay with everybody else. You just pray that no one else gets injured. But Yoshida, I would have liked to see uh, be here as well. Uh, and finally, on the Red Sox, the Red Sox have traded pitcher Darwin's and Hernandez to the Orioles. They do that for just for cash considerations. This one's tough because 
Darwinson Hernandez is a guy that I wanted to get behind. And I got behind a couple of years ago, right? I think we saw him for the first time in either 2019 or in the COVID season of 2020. But, you know, I know the you know prospects, people want to hoard prospects, and then sometimes they turn out like Darwinson Hernandez. I wanted Hernandez to be good. He just wasn't. He's only 26 years old. He's got a good arm. He throws hard. He's left-handed. He doesn't really have an, a second pitch. And he doesn't throw a lot of strikes. That's why he's gone. Last year, he played in, pitched in only seven games, had an ERA of nearly 22. He's got a career ERA of over five. Maybe the Orioles could unlock something. But he's a prospect that I wanted to get behind that ultimately didn't pan out for the Red Sox. So uh, that's tough to see there. That's tough to see that it just uh, it didn't go that way. That's another guy, you know, Jeter Downs, et cetera, that hasn't gone uh, our way. Uh, UVM right now tied with UMass Lowell, 12 minutes left in that first half. The score is at 12-12. So, again, we'll keep you posted here as we move uh, through uh, through the rest of the show for the next 20 minutes or so. But for UVM, Matt Barreto, uh, Barreto currently has five points. Illyrio Follier has three. Robin Duncan and Aaron Deloney each have two. Without Finn Sullivan and without TJ Hurley, this is a game where Dylan Penn's got to get going. And thus far, eight minutes played, just one shot taken, 0 for 1. They got to find a way. He's got to find a way to get going here as uh, this team looks to get a victory and looks to move to 3-1 and one inside conference play. Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, they met today. What came out of that meeting? We'll tell you about it next on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV AM and FM. With your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here at WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. I will uh, tell you about the Patriots meeting Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick had today, but I want to answer this text first on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line. It's a question I get a lot. I get this question almost every day. I feel like we've addressed it, but I will address it one more time here. Do the Red Sox owners care anymore? That's the question. This is just me, right? They say they do. Tom Werner today was at the Devers press conference and said they're not selling the team. They're, he's 72 years old. He wants to win multiple more World Series titles. John Henry feels the same way. That's what they say. Of course, they're going to say that. I believe that Red Sox ownership does care. I believe that Red Sox ownership wants to win. But I think that Red Sox ownership wants to win in a different way. I think that it has been pretty clearly proven that the best way to run a baseball team is not to just spend willy-nilly over and over and over again. The best way to win in baseball is to win with homegrown players, is to win with cultivated talent. So I think that Red Sox ownership wants to win, but they want to win in the way that everybody else is winning and the way that everybody else is winning is generally more fiscally responsible than the way fans want to win. Look at how teams are winning these days. The Houston Astros. Okay. How are they winning? Prospect development, international signings, homegrown players. And then 
You've developed such a glut of all of that that you can go out and make trades. When's the last time the Astros signed a mega free agent that wasn't their own? The answer is this year, Jose Abreu. But the team that just won the World Series was built on draft, develop, and sign. Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and Framber Valdez and Jose Arquiti and Luis Garcia. That, that's how that team was built. Yes, they traded for Justin Verlander, but because of all their prospect capital. Look at the, the Dodgers. Even the Dodgers. Yes, the Dodgers can go out and spend a bunch of money. But look at the team that just won the World Series for them in the COVID-2020 season. How'd they do it? Corey Seager, homegrown. Julio Arias, homegrown. Walker Bueller, homegrown. Clayton Kershaw, homegrown. Yes, they acquired Mookie Betts and signed him, but they traded for him with their prospect capital. Kenley Jansen, homegrown. Justin Turner, off the scrap heap. Max Muncy, off the scrap heap. KK Hernandez, off the scrap heap at the time. Like That's how the Dodgers won it. The 2021 Braves, how'd they win it? Well, look at all their young pitching. Ian Anderson and... Uh, Oh, Max Freed, homegrown players. And Freddie Freeman, homegrown player for them. Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, homegrown players. That I mean, that's how these teams are doing it. More fiscally responsible. More draft-developed guys. Even the Yankees, you look at it, they're not buying everybody. Now, they went out this year and got Rodon, but before that, Garrett Cole was the last, was the only big move they'd made for several years. The only big money move they'd made for several years. The baby bombers were built on Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez. I guess I could throw Raldis Chapman into the spending for them a few years prior to that, but this is how teams these days are trying to build. They're trying to build and develop and lock up their own. So, yes, I believe the Red Sox ownership group cares. They're just caring in a different way because they've seen that, hey, whoa, we can win and not have to spend all that money because that's what the Joneses have done and the Red Sox are trying to keep up with them. That is what I think. That is just me. But I, I, that is how I believe that this is being done, that Red Sox, that the Red Sox are trying to win, but they're trying to win in a different way than they won before. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Okay, to the Patriots. The meeting has happened between Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston reports, there is no impasse. The Patriots are on to 2023 with Belichick acknowledging 2022 wasn't ideal and he's being amenable to changes. Don't expect a dog and pony show announcing firings or who's coming in for interviews. Belichick isn't going to put on put anyone's head on a spike or on a spike for the pleasure of the masses. But my understanding is offensive coaching reassignments are going to happen and several offensive coaches are under consideration 
for the Patriots 2023 staff. That comes from Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, who is as connected as anybody on the Patriots beat. And what Curran writes is important for a multitude of different reasons. Number one, it's very important and good that Belichick recognizes that offensive changes need to be made. He very easily could have just tried to run it back with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge and hoped that the experience helped them. It's good that he saw what we all saw, that that group wasn't good enough. It's good that Bill Belichick saw and admitted to what we all saw because none of us want to see a Patriots offense in 2023 that looks like the Patriots offense we just watched in 2022. It's also very important that there apparently wasn't any animosity between Belichick and Robert Kraft about all of this. Because one of the only things that could derail Belichick in this offseason is if Kraft tried to force him into changes and Belichick didn't think the changes need to be made. That's, and if that's not an issue, then that is a win for the Pats. For so long organizational alignment was important to the Patriots and all their success. And it seems like at least in terms of the thought process, we are there again, where organizational alignment, we have it. And that's what you want. So now it's kind of on to the rest of the off season. Now, what exactly happens to the coaching staff? Okay. Is Bill O'Brien going to come in and call the place? How about Cliff Kingsbury? How about Zach Robinson of the Rams? We can get to some of that tomorrow. I spoke about it with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio today. We had some thoughts on the Pats coaching staff, so you can find that interview on the podcast channel. And again, I think we'll do more of that tomorrow. But the biggest thing now is that there is, you know, alleged cohesion among Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick about the plan to move forward. That is the important thing. And I, I said, you hear this in the intro of the Brady Farkas show every day, and I believe it. Next year, next season, is when Bill Belichick gets on the hot seat. Because the Patriots have not won a playoff game in four years. Right? Brady's last year, they didn't win one in 2019. They didn't win with Cam in 2020. They didn't win last year. They got beat by Buffalo, and this year they didn't make it. Four years without a playoff run. In that time, Bill Belichick has let Tom Brady go only to see Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. Has had a team that wilted at the end of 2021. Had a team that wilted at the end of 2022 and did not even make the playoffs. Bill Belichick has also had a, a, you know, a bad run here with the offensive coaching hires. If he has what appears to be another bad run next season, then Robert Kraft will take notice. There's also been some foolhardy spending done in the past. Nelson Aguilar didn't live up to his contract. Neither did, did John U. Smith. We could argue that Hunter Henry hasn't either. So <clears throat> there's been some potentially foolish spending with some poor coaching decisions here for the Patriots. If Robert Kraft senses another bad offseason, another bad draft, another bad handling, then that is where the hot seat comes in. 
Now, undoubtedly, Robert Kraft does not want to fire Bill Belichick. He wants Bill Belichick to break Don Shula's all-time wins record, and he wants him to do it with the Patriots. I have no doubt in my mind about that. But if Robert Kraft sees next year an organization going south, I do not believe that he will hesitate to get rid of Bill Belichick at the end of next season. So what Bill Belichick does in this offseason is incredibly important. How the Patriots handle and spend in free agency. Can they put together another good draft? Last year's draft looked pretty good. The 2020 draft has borne some fruits as well. Can they put together a better and more competent offensive coaching staff? These are all things that now Bill Belichick is going to be graded on like he's never been graded before. It was always just in Belichick we trust. I do not believe it is that way moving forward. I think Robert Kraft has Bill Belichick under a microscope. Under a microscope. Text says, Brady, thanks. Why now? Question mark. I don't know what you mean. Why now? I don't know if you mean about the Red Sox or about Bill Belichick or about the Patriots or whatever. So clarify that and then I can answer it. But um, this this is the time where Belichick is going to be graded like he's never been graded before. And I'd have to think that Belichick is smart enough to realize that. And that, look, Belichick wants to break Don Shula's record. Belichick wants to coach with his kids. Belichick, I I wouldn't think, wants to move on from New England. I think he wants this to be his last and final stop. And if he wants that and all the perks that come with that, then he's going to have to be better than he's been over the last couple of years. It is the Brady Farkas Show at WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Um, all right, let's see. High school basketball is going to come up here in about 10 minutes. Brent Curtis on the call there from Montpelier. Harwood taking on Montpelier. That's a 645 start tonight for us, a 7 o'clock tip-off. UVM men's basketball is down under five minutes to play here at UMass Lowell. The Catamounts had a lead early in this one. They now trail by five, 24 to 19 is the score right now. This this is a tough one for UVM. I'm, I am not going to be as particular as I usually am here. I'm usually, I don't want to say critical. Critical is not the right word. I believe honest is the right word about UVM's performance, right? I believe that I am very, very honest about where the Catamounts are at. at. This one, just win. You're out, TJ Hurley. You're out, Finn Sullivan. You're on the road against a team that's expected to be top three in this league. Just win. Okay, I'm not going to be overly particular and overly critical on how it gets done. Just get it done. Now, if UVM is going to win this game, they are going to need a performance from Dylan Penn. And look, Dylan Penn's played every minute of this game right now and has no points in his 0 of 3 from the floor. They can't have that. They cannot have that. Dylan Penn has got to be a catalyst for this team. And right now, Robin Duncan has seven of the 19 points, five from Matt Verretto, three from Elyri Iofalier, two from Aaron Deloney. Like Deloney and, and Penn, they've got to finish this game in at least double figures for UVM to have a chance. Right now, UVM is now down nine, 28-19. That's not where you want to be. UVM wants to go into halftime, I think, within five or less. And right now, they're down nine. Not a spot you want to be in. Not a spot you want to be in 
at all. You look at kind of the rest of where we're at right now, similar problems, right, for UVM. They're shooting 31% from the floor. They're two of seven from three. They are being out-rebounded. They've been out-rebounded in this one by five. So, you know, the usual problems for UVM are the usual problems. But you've got to find a way to get this under five by the time halftime comes. And you've got to find a way to get Aaron Deloney and Dylan Penn going. I said it yesterday. John Becker's got to find the button for his veterans, right? This is a... It's a different team than a year ago, but it is a veteran-laden team. Robin Duncan, fifth-year senior. Aaron Deloney, fourth-year senior. Fifth-year senior for Cam Gibson. Fifth-year senior for Sullivan. Fifth-year senior for Dylan Penn. These guys are capable of, of getting a, you know, they're capable of taking criticism, and they're ta- capable of turning that into motivation. These guys need to be better. They need to be better. Uh you know, as we move forward, and this is a game that's good, that is tough to win. UVM's got to find a way to to get something from their veteran leadership groups because that is uh, that is tough. Uh, UVM women did win today. Good win for them. Although UMass Lowell is horrific on the women's side, the Cats had to narrowly squeak this one out. Too close for comfort for Lisa Kresge, I'm sure. UVM won this one 42 to 37 was the final. So a low scoring, ugly affair in an 11 a.m. time slot there at Patrick Jim. Emma Utterback was the only player in double figures for the Catamount. She had 14. Catherine Gilwee of CVU had six. Bella Vito had six as well. Delaney Richardson had seven. But Utterback certainly was the star of this one, playing 36 of 40 minutes and having 14 points. That is going to do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training online at prodrivercdl.com. You can uh, check the podcast out on the Apple Podcast app as well as Spotify. And again, prodrivercdl.com is Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They work with class A CDLs, class B CDLs, passenger and advanced skills training as well. The interview with Tom Karen available on our podcast channel, Freddie Coleman, the same. We will be back at it again tomorrow with Buster Olney of ESPN. He'll talk more Red Sox with us. Takeaways from the Devers presser, uh, some thoughts about how stories, injury impacts the rest of the lineup. We'll get the answers from Buster. He will be with me at about uh, 340, at about that 545. Uh, Texter says to me, Brady, we need to get a uh, three or four hour sports show back. Well, we got 90 minutes. Come join us every single day. High school basketball is next on DV. Everyone starts their home.